I've got 24 hours to get rid of this bozo. Well, the entire scheme I've been setting up for 18 years goes up in smoke, and you are wearing his merchandise! <laughs> Thirsty? Oh, the jungle VIP I've reached the top and had to stop And that's what's bothering me we got voodoo, we got voodoo, we got things we ain't even tried, and we got friends on the other side. Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Kyle, uh, we're back talking about relatable Disney villains. Uh, we had a great mini episode talking Cruella. And honestly, I was in the villains mood all week because of that. Yeah. I, how could we not be after the hour and a half we spent just laughing about these uh, villains last week? We get hit with some Cruella right in between these episodes. And now we're going to continue talking about the most relatable Disney villain. Uh, we have an Elite Eight that is pretty stacked. And there are some characters that we didn't even really get to talk about uh, last time because they were able to move on so easily. So I'm super, super excited to uh, dive in further and to help us crown the most relatable Disney villain are our friends, our guest hosts. Back once again, it is Eric and Alyssa. What is happening, you guys? Hello, we are excited to be back and talk more in depth about these characters. We listened to the episode and we're like so ready for this episode. Like, <laughs> I understand it now. It's my second time. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. Yeah, you got it. Um, I need you to describe for the audience the 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 fit right now because uh, we people know that we often will wear like Disney shirts or, or sports gear to match the theme of this podcast. And sometimes the guests do too, but I, you're, you went all out here. Yeah. Um, right now I am wearing Disney ears. Oh, I'm sorry. Hold on. Did you just say right now? Are we going to have a, a intermission outfit switch? <laughs> no promises. It might, it might just get slightly saggier so that it starts to become okay. like saggy ears, but I've got okay. a Disney ears. It has my name on the back. It says, Vintage. It says my name. I won't say my name. Oh, wow. It'll just <laughs> say Eric figures. And then I've got a, a Kawhi Leonard jersey for all the heads out there, for all those who like the Clippers. <laughs> um, we're making it to game seven with Mickey's help. Mickey will be there in spirit. Mickey will in it's, spirit. It's a for sure. center, and, so he's there. He's nearby. And you got the red shorts on. Yeah. This is going. Baller Mickey is what we're calling this look. Baller Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> showed up to the pod today in perfect bracket fashion and we're ready to go i i know who i'm going hard for oh boy i it's hook it's hook he should be the number one it's hook hook's gone i uh, don't like that i said that <laughs> regrets all right, Chris. Well, uh, let's hop into this uh, before we start diving into our most relatable Disney villains. As always, we need to talk a little spoonful of sugar. What are you drinking this week? 
Well, hey, let's continue this sports conversation here. Uh, I'm okay. rocking a another current playoff team, uh, Colorado Avalanche, on my T-shirt. And uh, I went with a local San Diego sports-themed brew. It is the Swingin' Fryer Ale from Ballast Ooh. Point. It's honestly not my favorite beer, but I love the fryer on the can. <laughs> so uh, I, I can't miss when I drink it. What about no. you? Um, I'm drinking a cocktail, a rum cocktail this afternoon. It is the El Presidente. If you've never had it, it is a, a light rum drink. So it is uh, one and a half ounces of light rum, three-fourths ounce of orange curacao, three-fourths of an ounce of dry vermouth, and then one dash of grenadine. Um, I doubled that up because I am drinking out of not the spoonful of sugar mug. It wasn't worthy of this tiki drink. I'm drinking out of something that I forgot I had even oh, purchased. Oh, I know I'm it drinking is. out of the biggest Davy Jones tiki <laughs> mug I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> this mug, I, I bought it from, I think the, the company is called Tiki Haven on Instagram. And I saw that they were doing a, a Davy Jones drop. Like he's got his octopus that's pouch awesome. in the back. Oh, we no. We got, yeah, a, we got the, 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 the coin imprinted in the back of his, his wow. back. Um, and it, it is very detailed. This is a fantastic mug. It is, it is huge. Look at this. We love a It is huge. Um, yeah, he does. It, it, I'm so happy. Uh, we're doing a shop Disney roulette in the next couple of episodes. And I got a random package that looked like it was from eBay. And I texted Chris and I was like, is this my package for shop Disney? He was like, ah, that looks a little too big. And I was like, I don't know what this is. <laughs> and turns out I had bought this two months ago and it just showed up. So uh, the drink is fine. It's a light rum. The the grenadine hits you with that sweetness. It's uh, that I'm using Bacardi, unfortunately. So it's uh, it tastes like gasoline a little bit. <laughs> but uh, I think it's going to power me through this most relatable Disney villains episode. Eric and Alyssa, what do you guys have? Yeah, now that we're back at home and not driving, I'm able to indulge in a Golden State cider. Um, nice. Nice. Dry cider. It's very crisp. It's good for a hot day. Yeah, I'm doing, I won't say the brand, sparkling margarita of strawberry essence. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a can. In a can. This is not actual tequila, Alyssa, for me. It's malt liquor. Yeah. With, oh, yeah. So if you buy the 40s at the store, it's not even real tequila. What's the point? It's malt liquor. And therefore Wheat. not gluten-free, so I can't have it. So I have like a a random uh, spoonful of sugar tangent here. Uh, Last night I was at my aunt and uncle's house and they had these Costco brand like strawberry vodka otter pops. Yeah, they're so good, right? Or did you not like it? I, it was stronger than I was anticipating. I was eating it. I was like, maybe I just wanted an Otter Pop. I'm not sure I like wanted the vodka. But I was like, they must have listened to our uh, Grogert episode when I engineered the, the Grogert Pop. And that's where that idea must have came from. You know, I'm taking responsibility for that one. Um, awesome. Well, uh, just to remind everyone uh, what our demographic was that we surveyed to get our field of 16 most relatable Disney villains. The demographic was folks upset about web slinger accessories uh, at the new Avengers campus, the new virtual shooter attraction. They announced they were going to have some little add-on things you can buy to help enhance your experience. People were mad that they had to buy something. Y'all, I saw a little like ride through of, of web slingers and yeah. uh, I'm, I, I want to withhold judgment. 
on the attraction. <laughs> but part of me is like, no $40 add-on gauntlet thing can save this ride for me. But like I said, oh. I'm going to withhold. I'm going to withhold. Uh, and and if you're wondering, how, how did he see this ride through? Uh, because we're recording on Saturday, June 5th. Avengers Campus open to the public Friday, June 4th. Uh, Chris is heading to the parks on Monday. Uh, and so he's going to try his hand at trying to get into that campus, see if he can hop on Web Slingers. Sounds like he will not be buying an Iron Man hand for this ride. Sounds like you'll be going commando and just flailing your arms around. So my dad made a really good point. He's like, so you can only ride this ride one time. So if you ride it and then decide you want to buy a gauntlet after, you can't even use it until you come back right. the next time. Like it's totally pointless. So yeah, um, yeah I'm going I'm to hold off. Based on based on what I saw, um, you might just be catching me doing doing laps on Midway Mania instead. Like I don't even know. <laughs> there you go. Know. Okay, let's talk about where we left off last time after the round of sixteen. We have eight amazing and semi-relatable villains to talk about for this episode. The first elite eight matchup is the number sixteen Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland versus the number nine King Candy slash Turbo from Wreck It Ralph. Down the bracket, it is the number four Namari from Ryan the Last Dragon versus the number five Yzma from Emperor's New Groove. Across the bracket is the number two Hades from Hercules versus the number 10 Jafar from Aladdin. And to round out the Elite Eight, it is the number three Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty versus the number 11 Dr. Facilier from The Princess and the Frog. All right, Chris, let's waste no time and let's get into it. I'll start us off this week. It All is right. the number the number 16, Queen of Hearts. First, the number nine, King Candy slash Turbo. Talked about uh, both of these quite extensively last time because I think that they're pretty surface level, right? You have the Queen of Hearts who gets a, a moment in this wacky, wacky tale of Alice in Wonderland in which we see that she's an athlete. She's also a, the judge, jury, and executioner. Um, and she's surrounded by these seemingly incompetent cards. And I think that these, you know, her, her knights who are these cards are incompetent because, as you brought up, they're pretty afraid of her, right? They, they know that if they don't get the job done, uh, she's going to chop their heads off, <laughs> which is not a great strategy as a manager, as a boss to have your employees living in fear and are afraid of going all out, taking chances. Uh, and she makes it known. She doesn't want chances. She wants red roses, and that is it. Don't play anything else. Um, so she's kind of, you know, she's got a short temper. I get it. Uh, it, it. It is frustrating when you seem, when you have a task that is seemingly easy and you have a bunch of people to help out with it, and it doesn't get done or doesn't get done right, that can be frustrating. Like I said, not to the point of like killing somebody, but it can be, it can be frustrating. You might want to fire that person. You, you don't, you'd never know. Um, up against King Candy slash Turbo, I talked a lot about how uh, King Candy is good with computers. He's a coder. He's the CEO of his own space, not the social media coordinator. <laughs> and, you know, it's, He's trying to protect his his comfortability. He's comfortable in this new game that he's kind of created and this universe that benefits him. And he goes bonkers trying to keep himself safe and relevant there. 
it's kind of like a celebrity that falls out of the the tabloids, right? They they have some big moment to try and make themselves relevant again, and everyone's like, ah, that doesn't quite work. We we preferred when you weren't relevant. Uh, speaking of, I was watching TV this morning. I was watching some WNBA action, and uh, one of the commercials was for the celebrity dating game, I believe, and Carmen Electra is hosting it. And I was like, where'd she come from? And she looks the same. And Nina and I were like, oh, like they just froze her. They just unfroze her from her, her, you know, her time capsule and brought her back out to host. And I feel like that was her like, I need to be relevant again. What can I do? I'll host this game that has been reiterated a million thousand different times. Right. King Candy similar. He he's frozen his game in this capsule that only benefits him. And he's going to make sure that he remains on top. He's the king. That's where he wants to be. When it comes to the most relatable, uh, I mean, I think that, you know, both kind of rig the system to benefit themselves. Right. King Candy quite literally does. And yeah. Queen of Hearts also quite literally does by being like the judge and making her own rules and cheating during croquet. Uh, so they're, they're super, super similar characters. But I think that um, the most relatable for me, is the Queen of Hearts because she puts it out there. King Candy was trying to, to hide himself. And I think that the, I, what I find relatable is like if I have this trait or if I am, I don't, I never want to come off as two-faced, I guess is what I'm saying. And, yeah, and yeah. King Candy is t- quite literally two-faced. He literally has two faces and he presents something and everyone thinks that that something is genuine and fine and it in really in reality it is quite sinister while the queen of hearts you know what you're getting this is this is who the queen of hearts is she she sets the precedent i want these roses red and if you don't bad news so just get the job done that directness i would hope that i can be as direct as that in my life without having to try and beat around the proverbial rosebush. So I am going with the queen of hearts in this upset. I um, I think these two villains are very similar in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, something that makes a lot of villains relatable is just the way that they idolize certain ideas. And they're kind of like the ugly side of humanity. Like if you take your idolatry of control so far you'll end up like the queen of hearts where you're, you're like not willing to work with anyone or you'll end up like you know if your your comfort idol is too strong you'll end up like king candy and you'll just throw a fit if anything like infiltrates your bubble yeah uh, so i think both of them are extremely relatable the queen of hearts i I'm having trouble seeing like the the perfect world that she's trying to create in Wonderland. Like I don't I don't really know like what her end game is. I, I struggle to kind of like figure out why she wants the roses a certain color and like right. why. I mean I understand that she likes to feel good about herself and she likes to be surrounded by yes people, but but I don't really understand like what it's all for. And with sure. King King Candy, you really see like uh his vision playing out and you Mm -hmm. see the reasons and the final product it's this game that after he's put all the pieces into place is totally functional you know like there is order in 
sugar rush. I mean, for better <laughs> or for worse, like the game works the way it yeah. does um, until Ralph and Vanellope start poking holes in it. And I think that the Queen of Hearts cannot exist in a world in which she does have an end game. She's in Wonderland for that reason. Like, lit- quite literally, nothing makes sense in Wonderland. And Cheshire Cat tells us that. Like, they're all mad. So, like, the Queen of Hearts wanting the roses red but not explaining a reason is quintessential Wonderland. And the fix is to paint them and not plant red ones. That's Wonderland, you know? So, uh, I, I get it for sure. But she's also just a product of her universe. Uh, calling King Candy a two-face. Got him. Uh, I mean, I get, yeah, you're not wrong, <laughs> but I think, I think there are definitely times when I can kind of like chameleon myself based on like the, the social situation that I'm in. I think that's a pretty normal human trait, uh, to a certain extent. <laughs> Davey giving me a side eye when I say that. He's like... He, he, he hit us with the uh, Collinsworth slide in. Monday Night Football just slide on in here. Um, so like what it ca- comes down to for me is kind of like the criteria I was using uh, on the last episode is, is how does this relate to me personally? I am someone who is much more comfortable surrendering control in a chaotic situation like the situation in Wonderland. I'm okay, okay just being like, you know what, uh, you can do it. But I have a much more difficult time surrendering like my comfort bubble. Mm. And so for that reason, King Candy, I think, is much more relatable for me. So this one is going immediately to the tiebreak. <laughs> I know, those are both great points. What do you think, Eric? <sighs> you go first. <laughs> well, like I said in the last episode, we stand King Candy and his career you know, pivoting and and the way he's able to rebrand and just like, you know, take these challenges and run with them. Um, He's literally had to go through like three games and he's managed to be top of all of them and be this hacker man that somehow like rigs the system. And while I would probably not be able to do that myself, I see that as relatable in maybe not hacking the system, but just like adjusting to what's around me. And, you know, wanting things to be comfortable um, in order to progress. I think all he wants to do is win and, like, be his best self. And, you know, it sucks when people get in your way, even though he got himself there in the first place. But I, I, I just see a lot more of myself in King Candy. I don't know what that says about me, but... <laughs> Can I throw a wrench into the entire equation? Oh, my sure. gosh. I disagree. <laughs> Uh, no, something, something Chris said changed friend. my mind because, um, like, you were talking about the order of King Candy's, right? Like, there's order to his, what he's doing. That made me like him less. I was like, immediately felt more connection to the Queen of Hearts, who the world is abstract, the world is chaos, which, as far as we know, that's what our business <laughs> is, right? And she is the one who is trying to build some sort of order. It's based in, like, very juvenile kind of ideas about how to create order but she's still herself mad right she's the one in a mad world who is trying to create order but is doing it in a way that's kind of juvenile mad and that made me relate to her that's what we're doing here on earth we're just like stopping around there's infinite universe right we don't we're just tiny tiny here on earth and we're just being little juvenile folks the earth is 4.6 billion years old homo sapiens have only been here a hundred thousand years yeah. Boom. Yeah. So we are the queen of hearts and our 
wild, wild abstract world. So, so do we do rock, paper, scissors? What do we do? Yeah, I was going to say, all right, folks, that's the end of the episode. We can't decide. <laughs> so we're going to just end it here. Okay. I guess we should do rock, paper, scissors. Yeah. Do, oh, okay. bring the chaos. Let's this go. is great. Let's this is awesome. Let's to the camera. Is it one, two, How three? do you do it? Because I do one, do one two, two, three. three. Show okay. Your, okay. I yeah. say rock, paper, scissors. Can I say that? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Rock, <laughs> paper, paper, scissors. scissors. What is this? Bear claw. Eric threw up scissors for everybody listening. <laughs> and Alyssa threw up a bear claw that we think should be paper. But she, <laughs> she, she, paper. I got really she, she clawed. It was a defensive paper. I was nervous. But bear claw beats it, though. Yeah, it was it was a paper with staples in the ass. That's what it was. It's paper, but I'm not happy about it. <laughs> <And I lost. laughs> All right. So Eric won that rock paper scissors bear claw battle, and that means Upset. the 16 Queen of oh, Hearts man. is moving on to the final four. That is amazing. That might be our first ever uh, tie break decided by rock paper scissors, and I'm I'm here for it. Yes, That's the chaos absolutely. I want on this program. <laughs> absolutely. Let's, <laughs> let's move on to the next matchup. It's number four, Namari from Riot and the Last Dragon versus number five, Yzma. So I want to talk about Yzma a lot because please, please. I didn't talk about her at all. So Kyle, uh, in review for like the points you made for Yzma being relatable, um, her wanting to overthrow a really incompetent government official. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's something... W- Almost we do all every of us, single day. Right. Like most of America, <laughs> that guy's a bozo. Like no matter who it is from the manager at the right aid all the way up to the president <laughs> of the United States. Like right. that's just people are strongly opinionated on, on their, um, you know, officials. So Yzma does that. Also, she displayed extreme frustration when she was turned into a cat. I think <laughs> that was like the pinnacle of her rage was, was yes. cat Yzma. And <clears throat> I know we haven't talked about Hades yet, but but this is why I like Yzma more than someone like that because I would describe Yzma as a frustrated person. I wouldn't oh, describe yeah. her as like a rage-filled individual. I agree. So, uh, so we see that peak during the cat thing and it, it all kind of leads up to that. So just a few other Yzma points I want to bring up. Um, she has a relationship with Kronk. He is her little minion. But Cusco specifically points out that she like has many Kronks like year after year. So yeah. she she has a love for himbos, which I love. <laughs> I love himbos as well. So like I really really relate to that. Um, her kind of like inciting incident for her plot line is when she is fired by Cusco for pretty much no reason other than he's rude. And as someone who was recently laid off due to COVID, I can relate to like the extreme frustration that builds up after you are very unexpectedly and unreasonably let go from your position. Sure. Uh, would I kill someone? No, but it's a, you know, it, it's a place that I can relate to. Uh, Yzma is a very fabulous individual. She has many, many wardrobe changes throughout oh. Emperor's New Groove. And we even see her do a little cucumber mask when she is uh, on her road trip with Kronk and, and Kronk yes. wakes her up. She's got a little cucumber mask on. She's taking care of herself. Everyone loves some self-care. <laughs> Queen. Queen. Um, and I like, love and like, to travel by Kronk. 
Like, <laughs> oh yeah, I would love to be yeah. in that little tent with little cucumbers on my face. Like, oh, totally, totally. Yeah. And like on that note, she doesn't like being woken up yeah. in the middle of her sleep. And Kronk comes like, uh, uh, and she's like, this better be good. <laughs> uh, so like, I mean, yeah, who doesn't? Who who likes being woken up in the middle of the night? No. Um, uh, that kind of Kronk like carrying tent that she's in is proof that she does not like the outdoors. Yeah, um, glamper. She's a glamper. And and I'm I'm not yeah. like outdoors averse, but like when we go to the beach, me and Julia, she is Kronk where she's trying to like interact with the wildlife and I'm like in a coat, I'm wearing socks, I'm like under the shade structure and I am uh trying not to expose myself to the elements as much as possible. You got socks on the beach, Chris? Yeah, like I I mean I I I haven't Listen, I haven't been diagnosed, but I'm pretty sure I have poor circulations. Like my extremities get really cold. It, oh, it will be too. like it will be like 80 at it's the beach and I'll be like I'm dying. I I need <laughs> I need a jacket. Isma loves dinner parties. Uh she arranges one uh with Cusco. And here's Here's the big one. Isma loves Roller coasters. Yes. She is a legitimate thrill-seeking junkie. Yep. You would expect someone who has kind of like the the sentiment and the temper of Yzma to be on a roller coaster and be like, have like a mad look like, oh, like this is no fun. Like I'm the no fun person. But she is like, slicks her hair back and just like settles into the seat a little bit. And she is like <laughs> off on the roller coaster track. And there's even an episode of Emperor's New School which is, I guess it's a trope in the in the TV show where they do the roller coaster thing like every single episode. Okay. So I, I watched a little compilation of like all <laughs> all the different roller coaster scenes on the series. And at one point, the ride like stops in the middle of the loop and there's like an awkward silence and Kronk's like, oh, what is this roller coaster for anyway? And and, Yz- and Yzma's like, eh, it's just for fun. But so like she like she admits it. She admits that this is a fun thing for her. So she she has uh, uh you know a happy a happy side. Yeah, for sure. Um the big thing for me that kind of like redeems her, a lot of these Disney villains love to isolate themselves. They get mad at the world and they just like want to be off in the corner and conspire on their own. Hades, Ursula, great examples of that. Uh, Yzma really keeps society close to her. Hmm. She knows that the people, she needs the people to get totally. to where she wants to be. She's not, it, she's not interested in being like a, a dictator that just overthrows the government and says, look, this is how it is. Um, she is a manipulator. She throws a, a legit funeral for Cusco. Um, and, and just the way that she talks with like Kronk's family, you know, she doesn't, <laughs> She doesn't reason through like violence. She tries right. to mentally get them to do what she wants. Like when she says, tell us where the talking llama is and we'll burn your house to the ground. <laughs> tell us where the talking llama is or we'll burn your house to the ground. <laughs> well, which one is it? That seems like a pretty crucial conjunction. Um, <laughs> like she's, she's just going for that like mental play, you know, because she's trying to keep people on her side. Yeah. She's trying to work the system without people realizing she's working it. And uh, I appreciate that because like, yes, I get frustrated by people 
out there in the real world all the time. But I don't want to go so far as to like completely isolate myself from civilization or like kill people or be so mean to people that I push them away completely. Like I know that look, you have to play nice with others, even though they might make you upset sometimes. And Yzma does that. Uh, Yzma's going up against Namari, which, uh, I mean, we all really had great things to say about Namari as a character and as a villain in Raya and the Last Dragon. And um, kind of, it's an interesting development talking about Cruella in between these episodes because Cruella, much like Namari in this new movie, was uh, framed as kind of this like in-between hero and villain thing where mm-hmm. we never see her do bad, like explicit bad, bad things. And uh, we had a, an interesting little group text with Kyle Madsen talking about how they might redeem Gaston in the, yeah. the little town series on Disney plus, they're going to have to do something similar where like they're going to have to explain away how rude he is and how much of a misogynist he is and all that. So, um, I think Namari is, is the first step in the new wave of Disney villain ones that are relatable and, uh, not so black and white, but because she is such a new addition to this roster, I think the the classic Disney villain still prevails. And and I think in this matchup, that's Yzma. So I'm going with her. Wow. You know, I, I it's hard because I, I really like Namari and I really like her character arc in Raya. I think that she comes from a place of justification, right? Like she doesn't know why she needs this thing but she takes in the context clues of of what raya and her her group has as far as wealth and and security and chalks it up to the fact that they have the dragon orb and you know when you connect those dots you feel like you've been wronged it's it feels very much like the the middle class and the and the upper one percent right like it's all namari wants is equality across the groups but it comes in the form of like rage (laughs) and and needing to like feel like they need to steal it back um and then it's also to the fault of like raya and her group like not communicating why this is living here and and you know not spreading the wealth to the others that that movie is just all a big miscommunication that leads to unnecessary drama right which i think is relatable if you have friend groups or if you have per- four different personalities in your friend group, a very similar situation is going to happen with Namari, Raya, and the other groups, I think. And you as maybe Namari, who feels like you have the answer to to qualm everyone's issues, might take that drastic step of being like, I'm not talking to this person anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like... there's some transferable um, points that Namari makes and and issues that she comes up with and steps and actions she takes that feels very translatable. But Yzma as a whole and her entire experience is so incredibly relatable to even the actions she makes. Like every interaction between Yzma and Kronk, you would say the same exact thing as Yzma does to Kronk, like across the board. Um, and especially when you know Kronk is a buffoon, right? 
and and you feel like you're kind of just stuck with him. Uh, like when uh, they're trying to find which way uh, Cusco went and they pull over to ask the squirrel. <laughs> and and she's like, well, ask him where the llama went. And Cusco's like, uh, can, can you give us some space? And she like takes a step back. She's like, how's this? She's like a little bit further back. And she like reluctantly takes another step back just to like get to where they need to go. Like in that conversation, not even physically where they need to go. In that conversation, she's just like, you can just tell she's just fuming. And I think we can all relate to a moment like that with somebody. I'm with you. Yzma is definitely moving on past Namari here. I think maybe after some time and Namari and Ryan the Last Dragon kind of, you know, soaks in on all of us and becomes this more uh, recognizable movie and characters, we could revisit that. But right now, Yzma is just too strong, too relatable. Eric and Alyssa, do y'all agree? Yes, definitely. And I love the p- color purple as well. So, oh, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and she's Madame Zeroni in Holes. True. That's right. I want to revisit Chris's um, Kronk impression at some point again in the podcast. <laughs> hey. um, that was an important impression for me. And I would like to hear it later. <laughs> Yzma lives on. Yzma lives on to see another day. So there's definitely time for another Chris Kronk impression. Anytime Patrick Warburton is brought up. Yes, exactly. You can do Joe from Family Guy. Oh my, anytime it's brought up. It's uh, it's perfect. All right, let's talk about our next Elite Eight matchup. It's number two, Hades versus number 10, Jafar. Um, I didn't get to dive in about Hades. Slide back in here, David. I didn't uh, get to talk a lot about Hades and I had a ton of notes because all of these characters are super recognizable, right? And Chris and I have to do a ton of research for these brackets. It takes us a ton of time. Um, our next bracket is probably one of the most tedious ones that we've done in a super long time. I've been having a lot of fun watching them. Uh, and, and you'll hear all about it very soon. But I didn't have time to rewatch 16 movies uh, to to refresh myself. So a lot of them are are known and I, I know their storylines and I've seen the movie a thousand times. And then there's Hades. And I haven't seen Hercules probably since we talked about heroes, maybe even since we talked best song. Like, so I rewatched it and I uh, it's just such it's another it's a, like an Emperor's New Groove. Before we started recording, we talked about how the beats just keep coming in Emperor's New Groove. You're never bored. It always seems like you're you're captivated. Hercules has a lot of that. And a lot of it is because Hades is quite literally a quick talking hustler villain. And every time he's on screen, you're just waiting to see what he says next. So what I think is super relatable about him is that he he has quips and and comebacks for absolutely everything. And I think that we all can relate to being able to do that or wanting to do that. Uh, it's that same thing as like when you are in an argument and you think of a comeback later on. Hades doesn't. Hades got that comeback almost immediately. Uh, he's he's a boss seeing overseeing a huge workforce, which are the Titans, the the two Pain and Panic. He's he's working under the Fates as these like overlord CEOs kind of that that don't give him enough information for him to successfully do his job. Um, but he has a goal. He knows what he needs to do. He he wants power. A lot of these, uh, a lot of these villains want power, and he's no different. And I think that climbing that corporate ladder that Hades is trying to climb can be kind of relatable. You might see 
some of the CEOs at some of the big companies you might work at as kind of that like, you know, villain, right? Um, and he definitely wants to take down the rival company in Mount Olympus <laughs> and and Zeus. Um, I think I brought up last time, or maybe Chris did. He's a delegator. He's he's one of those people that will show up to parties even though it kind of seems like he doesn't actually want to be there. So that first scene, <laughs> the the baby shower of the already born baby, uh, he shows up and is very sarcastically mingling with everyone at the party. And I think sometimes we can relate to that, especially in, in this day and age, right? Like we, we've been out of college for many, many years. And sometimes the small talk at parties is just not what we want to do anymore. And I can definitely relate to him uh he he keeps a cool head this is this is the most relatable of hades to me cool calm collected most of the time and then he will have these outbursts of anger so a trait that i hear over and over again about myself is hey you're really like cool like calm like you're really easygoing you're really like relaxed and i'm like how do i how do I give that off? Because <laughs> sometimes I feel like Hades with my like head on fire. And I think that every once in a while I will have those like Haiti outbursts, right? I don't, I'm not like Yzma who is just over like all the time annoyed and shows it. Um, I'm more of a Hades who is like, these people are idiots, but I can, I can do it. It's fine. We're good. We're cool. And then every once in a while I'm going to explode. <laughs> I can relate. I can relate heavily to that. Um, he finds the dead creepy and gross, and so do I, <laughs> which is funny because he's the the undertaker of the dead. There's a scene where he's in that like pool of the dead people, and he's like, "Ew, gross! Get off me! Get off me!" And he's like trying to get them off, get like yeah, slimy souls off me. Yes, exactly. And I, I can definitely relate to that. He's a huge sports guy, Chris. He's a huge sports guy when yeah. he's uh, yeah, yeah, wherever they were. I want. I don't think it was Athens. Maybe it was. But when uh, the the Hydra shows up, right, right, and he's sitting up there, and he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! We're only a halftime," <laughs> and and the the Hydra start growing more heads. Like every he he's here for the competition. He's here for the sports, and I am too. You know, like people overreact about scores at halftime. I'm like, "Hey, hey, we got a whole nother half. The game can change any time. You never know. You never know." And it truly is. Um, we talked about his frustration with his boys wearing the the opponent's merch uh, and and repping their squad with the Herc shoes. I'm gonna put that on its head. Hades is a man of meme culture. Hades started. What are those? <laughs> Tastemaker. Tastemaker. Trend starter. He he knows what's up. He knows what what's here in the popular culture. Uh, I think that's relatable. Uh, working in social media, you have to and. Uh, it, it's a blessing and a curse. And I think that Hades feels the same way. He has some dogs. They have three heads. We all love pets. We all love having pets. I get it. He lives underground by himself. Uh, he needs a pet. And those three-headed dogs that he has down in his underworld with him uh, are great. Um, what are not super relatable is that he like takes advantage of Meg for his own gain, which is, of course, not great. He wants to kill. He wants to kill babies. As much as I don't like kids, as I established last time, I probably wouldn't kill a baby if I didn't like them. So that's something that's also not super relatable. But Hades uh, and his whole whole aura of 
you know, being cool, calm, collected, but having these outbursts, being a sports fan, uh, feeling like the get, like hit, never giving up almost, right? Like he he's going after Herc again and again and again, and he feels like he still has a chance to win that tenacity, that persistence. I like it. I find that pretty relatable. Jafar, we talked a bit about last time, and, you know, he's another one that is just trying to become the most supreme uh, and task rabbiting his way through that. Uh, task grab is the second time hit us up you can sponsor this show we would be glad to take that um and you know he he the only issue with him is that he is just pure evil all the time through and through um and while hades definitely is hades can at least mask it a lot better than jafar can jafar is just like lit like sinister <laughs> all the way all the way through, all of the time, doesn't try to hide it, is willing to sacrifice others to get what he wants as opposed to maybe assembling a team that all works together, kind of like Hades does with the the Titans and Pain and Panic and all of that good stuff. Even though he is kind of sacrificing them for his own gain, I think that Jafar is like picking on these humans to get him this power. Uh, Hades' situation feels a little bit different. Um, all in all, Hades is a lot more relatable just in his personality, his the way in which he deals with his temper. Uh, he has it. It's known, but he's able to control it at times. I like that. I'm going with Hades. I'm going to need y'all's help in remembering Aladdin because I did not revisit it for this episode because, of course not. Don't ever want to watch Aladdin ever. Um, mm -mm. But Jafar around the Sultan is very much like a butt kisser. Totally. Yeah. And he is doing all of this like plotting behind the scenes, but to the Sultan's face, he's like nice. Yeah. I, I, I'm not a plotter, you know, like I'm not someone who has ulterior motives. Uh, for the most part, you will see me coming, but, uh, <laughs> but like I'm, I'm not confrontational whatsoever. Like I try to avoid conflict at all costs. So like when we're talking about these villains who, are trying to overthrow these like governments and stuff and these kingdoms and all that. I'm someone who would talk a big game, be like, no, we gotta, we gotta overthrow this emperor, man. Like we gotta do it. And then, and then when it come down to it, I'd be like, you take the lead. I'll, I'll follow you. All right. <laughs> you know, that's just, that's just my sentiment as a human. Um, I'm kind of a softy in that way. I don't, I don't like arguing. I don't, I don't like yelling uh, directly at a person. I will yell. I will yell like into space about a situation, but I will not yell like at you because of something you did. So, uh, these these like Hades outbursts, I really do not relate to these at all. Just based on who I am as a person, I I much more relate to Jafar's, uh, kind of like brown nose behavior to his superior, uh, like in public, but behind the scenes like talking crap and trying to take the job. Not that I've ever done that before, but hmm. Uh, hmm. if I if I was in a situation like that, you know, um, sure. I mean, I'll admit I can be a workplace gossip, you know, <laughs> like Chris will spill the tea. Oh yeah, I, he's I will. brewing it. <laughs> I do it all the time. Um, yeah, he hosts the tea party. He says, Come on over. I've always called you Earl Grey. That's what I've always <laughs> referred to you as. <laughs> tea time. <laughs> Oh my god, I love that. Um, 
So so I get what you're saying though, Kyle, yeah. about about Hades being being calm and cool and knowing you as a person, I think you're right on with that finding that relatable. I'm very totally get it. And um I'm still uh, a single man and I I still have the privilege of being um kind of like constantly in an elevated state of aggravation at all times. You know, like constantly being a man child without having to like <laughs> deal with any repercussions. Uh, like I said on the last episode, like Hades, uh, Disney dads relate to Hades a lot. And I think it's yes. for that reason, like they have to keep it together around their children to like maintain a sense of like responsibility and order. And but they they can't help but freaking out once in a while. Um, but like I said, I'm not quite there yet in, in my uh, life development. So I'm going with Jafar here. So this one's going to a tie break. Oh my goodness. Oh man, another one. Okay. Yeah. Clean your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You know, you, you feel a certain way about a uh, a matchup and then you two talk, which makes me think of other things. So um I really want to defer to Alyssa, but I will step in. Well, you whispered to me when they were talking about um, both of them how we should really like consider their outfits. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and their overall like appeal, and I mean, Hades has fire hair, like mm-hmm. that's cool, and he's got this like dark robe and just like really like the color palette is very I don't know blue and gray and dark and he's got fire for thumbs like he can light candles with his thumbs. I mean yeah. I guess that's not relatable but it is cool and then Jafar's got this like red and black vibe and like does he has like a goatee or something yeah, facial hair. he's got yeah. some fancy yeah, yeah, facial yeah. hair and a cool yeah. hat um, he's he's very royal yeah he has his his fit is very royal yeah and, and as, as you're saying that in, in my head you know what what do I want to relate to there's something pulling me still in the similar vein of Isma, right? Her quips, her like ability to want to react to situations and be quick about it. That's what's relatable to me. And Hades feels that same way. Not only does he use humor and or, or like absurdity or wanting, but there's a goal behind that. There's a goal behind, I'm gonna motivate these folks through absolute tomfoolery and then the job's gonna get done at the end of the day. Um, Hades also has like this like board game set up like D and D kind of thing with like yeah, little, that's right. <laughs> he's got like this chessboard of like where people are and like where they need to be. He's very much a strategist and a planner, and I think that's really relatable. Um, Jafar's like journey, I guess, is similar to Isma in that he's trying to like overthrow the Sultan, but I think Isma does it in a more relatable way. Um, sure, and I think that leads me to, to Hades being just more relatable in the way he carries himself and his little like personality traits that yeah i think i think hades is our vote all right number two hades takes down the number 10 jafar all right let's move on to our last round of eight matchup it is the number three maleficent versus number 11 dr facilier oh so this is i mean this is a good one because these are two very different villains but both of them relatable in very different ways uh we'll we'll kind of review what we talked about uh on the last episode because honestly i don't think we had a whole lot for either of these because they are very straightforward 
uh, Maleficent, uh, her whole villain arc starts with her being not invited to the <laughs> birthday party of Aurora, basically. Uh, and she gets super pissed about it and puts a curse on Aurora. We found that to be pretty relatable because it hurts to not be invited to parties. Yes, absolutely. It happens to me all the time. I'd be seeing, I'd be seeing my friend's party on the other side of the country and I'd be like, TFTI, gang. Say like curses. <laughs> Thanks curses. for that. Um, Maleficent, is not a fan of Filthy Phil, Definitely and ne- and neither are we. Mm-hmm. She she's trying to roast him with fire as a dragon. <laughs> um, and she has a ride or die best friend in Diablo, the Raven, who yep. she spends all of her time with. Doctor Facilier from Princess and the Frog. He's a hustler. He is Thank out you. there trying to make that paper, trying to eat. He's got a little voodoo, uh, gallery or parlor, and he uh reads tarot cards. And, and Alyssa shouted out that that was a hobby of hers. So uh, yes, th- there's, there's some relatability there. Dr. Facilier owes a lot of debt to his friends on the other side. We, the millennials, uh, <laughs> our generation is more in debt than any generation ever before us. Yep. Especially when it comes to student loans. Uh, Dr. Facilier gets in way too deep, way too deep with those friends. And I think that's, that's a very relatable human experience. Those friends are sketchy. We talked about how we all have some sketchy friends that, mm-hmm. you know, we're not so proud of telling our parents about, you know. <laughs> uh, Dr. Facilier is not a super jacked, a ripped dude. He's got a little tummy. The skinny guy yeah. looks, looks like he has some hurricanes down there in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. A few of them. Dr. Facilier uh, is very theatrical. He's, he loves pageantry and, and everything is, is kind of a show to him. And me as someone who grew up a drama kid in school, I like a little bit of, like a little bit of drama in real life as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, li- I, like when, I like when there's some, some fancy thrills. Fancy frills. <laughs> Love it. So um, it's interesting. We, we have a classic uh, villain in Maleficent and, and a more modern villain in Dr. Facilier. And I'm leaning towards Dr. Facilier because Maleficent, uh, though her backstory and the reasons for her being a villain are very relatable, her execution is very like mustache twirling caricature. And mm. and Dr. Facilier has that relatability and like, oop, I just, I, honestly, I overextended myself. Like <laughs> I, have a pro- I have a problem saying no to people. I said yes to too many people. So uh, now I got to like work extra hard to try and be where I need to be at all times. Like that's relatable. And also just the way he executes all of his behaviors. I mean, very relatable. He'll, he'll lie just to save face. Uh, you know, like you'll say, he'll be a little bit fancy, be a little bit charming. I like that about him. So I'm, I got Dr. Facilier pretty easily in this one. Yeah. I don't know that Dr. Facilier necessarily lies. He just withholds truth from his, statements right. most of the time spoken right? like he's, a he's liar like, sure. he, he's out here uh he's a hustler and that that's how you hustle i mean like you think of the classic pool shark right like somebody that comes in and and acts like they're not good at a game loses the money then doubles the stakes and then just balls out that's dr facilier he he gets you to agree to a deal that sounds really great to you but in reality, it's not because you didn't read the fine print. And that's just how salesmen and hustlers work, right? And uh, he's quintessential that. Maleficent, like if you take uh, if you 
transcribe her turning into a dragon in order to like defeat Filthy Phil as like leveling up, putting your all, transforming into the next level to accomplish a task, like taking all of your skills and putting it all into one bag and just going after it. You can kind of respect that, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. Like you're trying to accomplish a task and being like, okay, this is going to be exhausting, but I got to I got to do it all if I want to I want to get that. Uh, it would be a lot better if she didn't lose in the end because Filthy Phil didn't Filthy Phil did not do anything. It were the fairies who gave him the sword of the truth and the shield of whatever. And he all he had to do was stand there, hold up the shield, <laughs> freaking yeet the sword at the <laughs> dragon. And the fairies basically did the rest. Like Filthy Phil didn't do anything. So like Maleficent, listen, you got jumped. Maleficent as a dragon got jumped. It was, it was four versus one, right? And, and that's not fair. That is not fair to her. Uh, justice for Maleficent. Uh, thank God she got two movies, I guess, and uh, she. <laughs> we got to learn a little bit more about her. Um, but yeah, Doctor Facilier just feels way more real, and I think it's because of he's humanized in a way that is recognizable. I think that we can all see hustlers and salesmen in our in ourselves, like just trying to make it through whatever ties we have, whether that's ties to our schools and, and, and student debt or ties to our jobs and just trying to like survive day after day to, to exist, I think is super relatable, especially in this, like, you know, us being in the Bay area and having to, uh, work a ton in order to, to afford to live here. I think that we can relate to his day-to-day grind. Not that I'm, I'm not, uh, promoting grind culture at all. Don't grind, take your paid vacation, do it, please. And I, 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 I just respect that he sees opportunity. I think that we all want to see opportunities for, for advancement of ourselves. And he's very good at picking that out. He's on the street. He's hearing like what people, uh, what people's issues are, what, what they wish they had. And he's there to step up and, and take advantage of that while he's taking advantage of people. And I don't necessarily like that. He, he's conniving. He, he's, always top of mind. He's, he's quick on his feet. He's ready to pivot. He's ready to see that door open and walk through it and, and hopefully get him closer to not being tied to his homies on the other side. Uh, also, his fashion is impeccable. I, I think that even though he looks kind of raggedy at times, it's like raggedy chic, if, if you will. Um, and I think if I could pull that look off here in the Bay Area, I would. Which is a lie because I definitely wouldn't because I just wear jeans and hoodies every single day. But uh, I respect it and I wish that I had a style sense. I think that I'm with you here. Dr. Facilier just feels a lot more real, uh, probably because his magic feels rooted in something that's not witchcraft. And I think that's that's more relatable, at least for you and I. Um, And I yeah, I agree with you. Dr. Facilier is going to move on here. Eric and Alyssa, any quips with the the witch doctor moving on past the uh the mistress of evil i'm just gonna say that this particular bracket means that we kind of get to be vulnerable okay i'm gonna go here we get to be vulnerable in an interesting way right we have to say sure. who we find characteristics that are relatable and sure you all are so good at being vulnerable thank you for the safe <laughs> space <laughs> i appreciate uh... it so much i agree with you cool i have a question uh who like maleficent 
Who is she in relation to Aurora? In Maleficent, the live action movie, she falls in love with King Stefan when King Stefan was a, a peasant boy. Um, and then when they grow apart because Stefan betrayed Maleficent, I think that like it was one of those love things where he he didn't want to admit he was in love with a fairy because she was like a fairy with like not black wings. She was like like this ethereal fairy. Um, Stefan uses an iron to burn off her wings uh, so that he can ascend to the throne of the human kingdom uh, as per bounty declared by King Henry, as this Wikipedia page says. Um, and so then there is this grudge that was held against King Stefan by Maleficent, who, yes. Well, that's relatable to me. <laughs> so so to to seek revenge on this love that didn't happen and then was betrayed, she crashed the party and said, oh, was I not invited? <laughs> curse. <laughs> curse. <laughs> so that's the backstory. She She felt betrayed by the 2014 live action movie, felt betrayed by King Stefan and seeked revenge by cursing uh, the baby. In the in the animated, I don't think we get that backstory. I think no. that like the evil witch shows up and curses the baby. I mean, getting your get, getting your wings cut off. I feel like oh, just yeah. being mad that you weren't inviting to a party is like a very polite reaction to. That. Yeah, not even cut, burned, an iron to burn them off. Jeez. Sad. All right, we're in our final four. Let's talk number 16, Queen of Hearts versus number five, Yzma. It's definitely Yzma here. Uh, I think that there's just a lot more to play off of Yzma. Uh, she's also, you know, she she knows on a road trip when it's time to stop for some food. Uh, when they're talking to the squirrel, Yzma is obviously really annoyed. I brought this up last time where she has to like, Kronk keeps telling her to step back. And then Kronk starts talking to the, to the squirrel and he says something like uh oh low blood sugar yeah we've all been there and so they need to stop for food i think we've all been on a road trip and we can relate to like needing to pull off to the side of the road in order to get some food and where do they go mudka's meat hut home of the mug of meat and that sounds like a a road trip stop diner and that's exactly what they play it as um there's a great interaction with Kronk and Cusco where Kronk's trying to remember where he knows Cusco from, and he thinks Pacha? it's from... What's that? It's Pacha, the, the John oh, was Goodman it, guy. Was he, yeah. talking to, was he talking to Pacha? Yeah. Talking about they thought they wrestled together, or maybe <laughs> right, it, was, right, right. Uh, it was dance class. He was like, Kronk was like, I had weak ankles. I was usually in the back. Come on, help me. Help me. We know each other. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> just a great scene with Kronk. Has nothing to do with Yzma, but I love that diner <laughs> scene because it's just so chaotic. And that diner scene really feels representative of Yzma's experience as a human, where like Kronk feels somewhat obligated because the chef quits because there's so many different orders and changes coming in that Kronk takes over. Um and and Yzma is trying to get somewhere and there's uh, the birthday celebration going on <laughs> so for good. Cusco or they give him a big sombrero. Uh, that entire scene kind of feels like what Yzma's ex everyday experience is where she's just surrounded by unnecessary chaos when she has a task to complete. 
And I think we walk through the world every single day with our tasks just surviving and living our lives. And there's just chaos all around us. Yzma is an easy pick to go to the finals for me. Yeah, for me, it's the fact that Yzma starts with the desire to overthrow the system, change the system. And okay. the Queen of Hearts is the system. Ah, and there you go. I never want to feel like I am the system. So while Yzma eventually, I think, does become the system, like she starts, I think, from a, a logical perspective. So I also am advancing Yzma. Do Alyssa and Eric agree? 100 percent yes i'm very excited for her to go in the final too Alyssa, what's your favorite isma line we've been hyping you doing an isma impression for two episodes and we haven't gotten it yet okay well there's two but one of them is when she's on the throne and she's talking to the person and she's like well it's no concern of mine your family doesn't have what was it again and he was like um food (laughs) you should have thought of that before you became a peasant So even if she were a ruler, she wouldn't be a very good one, but um, I admire her drive. The second, and one. the second one's better. The second yeah. one is, um, it's like, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll turn him into a flea. Then I'll put that <laughs> flea into a box, and I'll put that box in another box, and then I'll mail that box to myself, and I'll smash it with the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Brilliant, 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 I tell you. Brilliant, I tell you. <laughs> So good. Oh, my God. And then she wants to save on postage, which we've all been there. We have. (laughs) As a small business, I can attest (laughs) to that one. Uh, Yes. All right. Yzma is moving into the finals of the most relatable Disney villain bracket. Chris, you're leading off this final, final four matchup. We got number two, Hades versus number 11, Dr. Facilier. Um, Yeah, this one's this one's a little bit tough. I I think Hades has a really good like a uh, reasoning for for why he's so mad and has this chip on his shoulder, right? We talked about it in the last episode. You talked about it a little bit last round. He's got bosses who don't really care. He's got uh his coworkers don't really acknowledge uh, what he does. They don't really know what he does and uh Hades works hard. He's a hard working guy. No one yeah. gives him any credit for it. So I think the uh, like the place Hades comes from is really relatable, but just like I said with Maleficent, like his execution, um, it's just not it's not me personally, you know. Like uh, I I see where you're coming from, Kyle, where um, you're calm most of the time, and then you're you're 100 uh, when you're <laughs> upset. But you know, Doctor Facilier, he's a little bit slimy, a little bit like snake like. Um, and, and not that like I see myself as, as either of those things, but, um, I can understand the temptation to, to save face for yourself, uh, publicly by, by kind of like, uh, like you said, withholding the truth from others. Um, so that makes Dr. Facilier a little bit more relatable for me. So, so I'd be sending him to the finals here. Yeah. Uh, a big thing that we haven't brought up about Dr. Facilier and we I mean we sort of maybe touched on it but what the movie brings out is that Dr. Facilier represents the the lowest class the poor class of New Orleans and juxtaposed juxtapositioned against I hate saying his name but Big Daddy 
<laughs> as like the the kingpin of New Orleans. And Dr. Facilier wants to just have that or have some sort of I mean, this movie is just dripping in like equality, right? Like Tiana can't get her restaurant because she's being uh, you know, played by the two white loan givers, right? And and that's a huge undertone of the entire movie. And I think that one that we don't really talk about or don't mention is the fact that Dr. Facilier has to hustle and literally make deals with voodoo evil spirits in order to achieve any sort of life that might equate to that of this white mansion owner. Uh, and I think that's relatable in our society in general. Like we have to grind. We have to work our lives away in order to achieve a uh, uh, shelter and, and food and and a livelihood. And maybe we don't have to do it to the extent of Dr. Facilier, but he represents that kind of struggle uh, that many of us may feel working these nine to five, 40 plus hour work weeks uh, just to exist in America. I'll dive in a little bit further about Dr. Facilier's backstory because I've been looking into it a little bit because we've talked about like debts and like why and, and where he's come from. And I think that I figured it out. Uh, but Dr. Facilier is definitely going to first Yzma here in the finals. Uh, Eric and Melissa, this is a heavy hitting finals. Uh, how do you feel about the direction we've gone? Do you agree that it should be Yzma and Dr. Facilier? Uh, what are your just your general thoughts here? Really happy. I think, you know, Dr. Facilier just has a lot of layers and I like that. And I think Hades, we understood the complexity of Hades when we saw Hercules the first time. Like, okay, well, he's angry. But Dr. Facilier has a lot of layers here. So I think um, he kind of represents what we've been talking about. Maybe Disney's thinking of this new wave of villain that has layers that even kids can see relations with, whether it's a social context, whether Whatever they are finding relatable about Dr. Facilier, it's there. For Hades, we, we know what we're getting. So I'm happy. I love these two. Yeah. And I think, too, Hades being in this, you know, world of gods, I guess, is, yeah. you know, it's not as obviously human as Dr. Facilier because he's in our world and making it with the same kind of social structure we have today. So, yeah, definitely I could see him. Going forward. So we reached the finals. It's number five, Isma versus number 11, Dr. Facilier. And as I just alluded to, I kind of figured out the backstory to Dr. Facilier and what his debt is to the shadow people. Essentially, growing up poor, he turned to black magic to make a deal with these friends on the other side to help him achieve these riches, uh, both for him and the shadow people. He he's kind of working in conjunction. Hey, we'll give you these powers to grant wishes, but you have to share your your winnings with us. And if you fail to do so, if you fail to bring back those riches, if you fail to swindle that person out of a deal, then you have to repay with your soul. So that's what the end of Princess and the Frog is. He's unable to complete the deal which is to get the money which would be to get uh what's his face the 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 prince's like side dude to marry the the big daddy's daughter charlotte i think is her name uh and then he would inherit the rich 
give some of those riches to Dr. Facilier and then life goes on. He was unable to do that because the real prince fell in love with Tiana. So the, the deal was broken and never actually happened. And he had got sucked into the underworld. That's the debt that he paid. He paid uh, the ability to gain riches through this magic with the people on the other side. Uh, and in exchange, he had to make those deals happen and share some of those riches with them. So that's his backstory. And uh, that sounds kind of like what we're doing now. <laughs> kind of like we're out here trying to make magic happen and sharing our earnings with the people that we work for. Uh, so I think that's super, super relatable. Um, the way in which he has to do it, you know, it, everything is, I'm sure that he, he never really expresses that what he's doing is wrong. I think that he, he knows what's necessary has to be done. Uh, but I would like to think that there's something in the back of his mind like this, this sucks, but he's also seeking revenge. He grew up poor. He sees how the elite in New Orleans are living. Uh, I think we can all kind of relate a little bit to that. Talked a lot about Yzma. Uh, I don't know that there's a ton more. I, I really, really want to highlight her. Her turning into a cat feels a lot like, you know, a plan changing and her inability to pivot. Even though it's because she literally turns into a cat and she can't function as a human, like you can't necessarily plan for that. But like if she was up against Hades at at, at all um, at some point in this bracket, like Hades had a really strong ability to pivot. He was changing plans. He was able to to swindle things and 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 not just give up. Um, Yzma never gave up, but her her arc was a lot of a chase as opposed to uh, you know having to pivot away. She wasn't able to kill. Cusco and Cusco got away so then she has to chase as opposed to at that moment pivoting quickly that's I think what would have been her downfall against Hades because I I I like that ability to pivot I think that I'm I'm very uh you know fluid in my in my plans I'm able to to change them on a whim and I don't think that Yzma is able to do that necessarily um Dr. Facilier feels like he is uh he he and you know he has these lackeys that are these voodoo spirits and when plans changed he took think matters into his own hands he shows up to that graveyard and tries to stop uh tiana and prince naveen and and kills ray in the process he hates bugs i hate bugs uh i don't encounter lightning bugs all that often because we don't live on the east coast but uh, i i would probably feel bad to kill one but i just don't like bugs in general um and he takes matters to his own hands he has to pivot he has to make it happen and i like that about him a lot this matchup is tough. I I lit I don't think there's a wrong answer here. To be honest, yeah. I think that either of these two could be crowned the uh the most relatable. Uh, and so I don't know. I think that because we get so much more time with this villain, we're able to relate and almost empathize with them further than we are the other. And that is Isma. Isma, we get a ton of movie time. Most of the movie is spent with Isma. It's kind of it feels like it's split pretty 50-50 between Cusco and Isma. And we we get to really get in, enveloped in Isma's life. And we don't really hate Isma, right? I think the entire time we almost want more Isma. We want to see her. We want to relate to her pains of dealing with incompetence. Uh, and with Dr. Facilier, like his big introduction and his big number is him 
making a, a shady deal with uh, Prince Naveen's homeboy. And, you know, and then from that point on, we're like, this guy's evil. Like, we don't want to mess with this guy. Yzma's journey feels a little bit more relatable. I'm going number five Yzma over number 11, Dr. Facilier. I came into this episode fully ready to send Yzma to the finals and crowning her the winner of this bracket, like easily. Uh, but in the last 10 minutes, Kyle, you have really unlocked my brain uh, as, you, <laughs> as, as you made your case for Dr. Facilier in, in these last two matchups. The low-lying constant state of agitation for Yzma is extremely relatable for me because that is kind of my sensibility as I go about the world on a daily basis. It's like uh, just, just calling out really annoying things that happen to me. But kind of what I was saying with uh, Jafar, I'm not really a man of action uh, when it comes to like putting my money where my mouth is. Like I am a lot of talk and no, no execution. Uh, I will admit that. So, so when it comes to, you know, Yzma actually following through on her villainous plot and taking over this government in whatever country or city that they occupy, um, I, I'm not sure that that's something that, that I would do or, or uh, like have the capability to follow through with. Whereas we look at Dr. Facilier, I am constantly in a state of overextending myself. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> in a constant state of saying yes to too many people. And I am someone who would go about my business getting what I want by performing smaller duties throughout the day to just kind of get to where I want to be eventually. Um, as opposed to taking dramatic measures to change my lot in life. So, uh, you know, like I said, I, I never thought that I would say, I think Dr. Facilier is the most relatable Disney villain, but just by uh, what you've said in the last few minutes here, I think that's what I'm going to say for this matchup. So this one is going to a tiebreaker. So oh listen, Eric, gosh, for, uh, for the crown. good luck <laughs> for the crown. Um, well, I must say, yeah, I think the argument for Dr. Facilier, I feel the same way, like not expecting to be so, didn't expect him to be so relatable, but um, yeah, it definitely gave us things to think about regarding him. But what do you have to say about Yzma? Um, Okay, yeah, I only have a point about Yzma. I love everything you guys said about Dr. Facilier as well. It's going to be hard. I'll make my point about Yzma. I'll listen to what Alyssa says about Yzma, and then I'll decide. <laughs> I'm undecided at this point. Okay. Um, the, the whole crux of the movie, The Emperor's New Groove, is that Cusco gets turned into a llama, right? And so yes. there's an understanding in the movie that Yzma is this chemist, right? That she can produce this potion that she thinks can kill someone. But oops, it's the wrong, it's the wrong potion, right? It's my yeah, mama. Not potion. her fault. It's not, not her, her fault. fault. It was the label, right? <laughs> so she has the capability to produce a death potion. She has a poor tracking system. Poor tracking. Like the test tubes are disorganized. But not only that, she had this ability to create a llama potion. Like she, she, the llama potion's in there, but it's right next to the death potion. They're both there, Kronk, you got the last, the wrong one, dude. I would make a llama potion, is what I'm saying. Like, but I would also make <laughs> okay. the death potion. You would also make a life one. This is the beauty of science, right? It's inquiry, it's curiosity. You're experimenting, oh you're out in the natural world. You're like, I actually live in Peru in this beautiful llama. So I'll make a f***ing llama potion. And, and there's something so beautiful about that's the crux of the movie, right? You got the llama potion and not the death potion. Right. So there's something as a scientist that I really relate she, to there. Like she had a flea potion. Obviously, we yeah. know that. She's and in her lab attire is just great. They both have like these 
teal blue headbands because you got to keep your hair out of your face and laugh. You don't want, this is a sterile room. You don't want loose hairs going into the, the test tube. So um, no. that, that's my point about Yzma. Alyssa has others. Yeah, and I think too, we haven't talked about how she, as a woman who's really old in her career, is very underestimated. And like, Cusco doesn't think much of her because she's this like petite old woman. He's like, How old are you? Like, you must be like dying at this point. And he's just not paying attention to what she's saying because she's so old and somehow is still in power. And I think her as a woman in her field being older like that is super relatable i know to a lot of older women who are still in the workforce who like maybe need to be there for money in order to survive so i think there's that element as well and um she's got she's got a fashion sense she knows what to dress, <laughs> she she dresses up for every occasion maybe not so well for the outdoors which i can relate to sometimes <laughs> is packing the wrong shoes and then i get stuck in mud so Honestly, I think at the end of the day, we're voting for Yzma because of those points. <laughs> All right. We have crowned our most relatable Disney villain, and that is Yzma from The Emperor's New Groove. And as we do at the end of every single bracket, we are going to clap it out. Chris, you owe us something. Uh, I owe you a lot of things. You owe, you, owe us, you owe us a Kronk impression. Oh, uh, uh, more broccoli. <laughs> or how about uh, how about uh, squeak squeaker squeak squeaker? <laughs> you owe me a new acorn. <laughs> oh man, Chris, uh, this this was an idea that was hatched a while ago. Right, we we found our 2021 itinerary very quickly. We had p- shows planned through the summer, even before 2021 started. And when I saw this one, I was like, ah, you know, this might be a filler episode. This might be a filler bracket. But this turned into one of my favorite discussions that we've done in a very long time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm happy that it came out the way it did. And I think we were mostly pretty graceful in our discussion of these, uh, <laughs> ultimately, people who do really bad things in the Disney universe. Um, Eric and Alyssa, thank you so much for your insight here. Uh, like Kyle said, this was such a fun episode. <laughs> Thanks for having us back. We had a great time. Yeah, we had so much fun. I'm going to shout out our friend B. Ricks. Brittany's out there. <laughs> She's listening to this. She's a big fan of the pod. What's up, Brittany? <laughs> <laughs> shout out B. Ricks. Uh, I'd like to inform the audience that the Mickey ears that began on Eric's head in this episode are now completely off his head and hanging on his back. So that's just how the spoonful of sugars hit, uh, just so you know. Uh, so, so Brittany, we heard you want to be on this uh, podcast. If you if you have any bracket suggestions, if you want to join us and, and talk about something, Chris is going to let you know how. Brittany and others, email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com if you have anything to say or hit us up on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Discord. All of those channels are linked in the description of this podcast. We would love to hear from you. One more order of business before we sign off. Pull the lever, Kyle. Wrong lever!